I want you to be free to be who God made you to be. Because let me tell you something. Where there's comparison, there is bondage and there's misery. But where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And you've never been freer than when you live for the audience of one. One person. Let's look at it. 2 Corinthians 10. I love this verse. One verse. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says this. We dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. We wouldn't dare compare ourselves to anybody else. See that? But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. What does the Bible say? You compare yourself to somebody else. That's not wise. It doesn't say it's evil. It's not wise. Why is it not wise to compare yourself to somebody else, who you are, what you look like, what they've got? Why is that not wise? Because your soul will always lose if you compare yourself to somebody else. One way or the other. I don't care how tough you are, there's somebody tougher. I don't care how much you got, somebody's got what you think is more. You are not wise if you get caught up in this comparison trap. And it, it, is, it, is, it eats this nation up. I mean, we're consumed with this stuff in our land right now. Let me tell you what this comparison thing is. It is Satan's tool to wound your soul. It is Satan's tool to bring your soul into bondage. Listen to what the Bible says about this. The fear of what men think bringeth a snare. The fear of what people think about you is a prison. And they'll put you in prison. They can do it with a glance, a disapproving glance. Don't put it on me. I can't see it. Our nation's built on this. Let me ask you some questions. Just see if you think this is right. How do we measure things in our lives? How do you measure your house? I asked somebody long ago, they told me long ago, they said, well, we live in a small house. And let me ask you a question. How do you know it's small? There's only one way you can think your house is small. Guess why you think your house is small? You don't compare it to somebody else's house. Go to Nicaragua. Your house ain't small. You got two rooms. You got a big house. We're, we're nuts. Um, how, do we, uh, how do we measure our cars? We park them beside somebody else's. I'd go have lunch with the CEO of a large company. I went to his headquarters. I parked, there was two spaces. It was his and his wife's. She wasn't there. I just parked my car right there. <laughs> went in this, walked out the door. He just stopped. He said, what is that? I can't tell you what he came. He said, what is that piece of something doing in that lot right there? I said, that's my car. He said, what? I said, that's my car. I said, you want to ride with me? He said, no, get in my car. He felt so sorry for me. He gave me a new luxury automobile the next week. I put it online auction. It gave it to one of our ministers that needed the money. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Um, hey, let me ask you something. How do we measure our children? By the other kids. By other people. Who taught us how to do this stuff? This is the Bible. What the Bible said. This is not wise. This isn't smart. How do you measure your personal gifts? Everybody, the Bible says God has given every man gifts. Every woman's got gifts. Why do you measure your gifts to somebody else's gifts? Well, I can't sing. I can't. Who taught you that stuff? Where'd we get this junk from? You want to hear the big one? How do we measure our bodies? People say, I'm, I'm overweight. Compared to who? Twiggy? Well, I... How, where did we are eat up with this stuff? You ever heard of a model? 
them girls and guys on them magazine things and on them, they didn't know their pictures going to be took. I know they don't because they'd have done something with their hair if they'd known their pictures going to be took. <laughs> Can I say, what is it? What has happened? I know I'm old, but what has happened today that to be a model, you have to have a haircut that looks like you got it with a weed eater. Where did this come from? <laughs> All right, I listen to me. We, we, nobody stands up and says this in public. It's just subtly pushed. And we see these models and you know what the message is screamed at us. If you ain't this right here, who gives a rip? We're damning teenage girls with this mess. Why would a young girl eat dinner, go in the bathroom, make herself throw up? You know why? She was comparing herself. I've seen beautiful lean women that think they look in the mirror and they hear you're fat. What? We're just, this, this junk is demonic. Or we eat up with this stuff. We compare our jobs. We want people to be impressed with our jobs. I'm the vice president of so-and-so. I can get more money on my American Express and you can write a loan for it. Keep the title. I want the money. Mama would mama be proud of you if you be this. Mama needs to be proud of you if you can't do nothing. Yeah. We're damning our kids with this junk. And you know how sick it's gotten? Now we do our churches this way. As much as I said, man, I went there. It's a great big church. You didn't see the church. They weren't even there. You just looked at a building. So we measure our churches by how many warm bodies we can pack in a building. Where'd that come from? When I was looking for a wife, I wasn't looking for the biggest woman in the county. I was looking for the most beautiful woman in the county. The Bible said in Ephesians 5, Jesus is looking for a beautiful bride. He's got one if she'd just see it. We even measure our personalities like this. We see people that have got these big fill the room outgoing personalities. Like, well, I just don't. You are the way God made you to be. And, and you need to quit comparing yourself to other people. We don't just do this in this land. Our culture's built on it. Without this evil, there would be no advertising industry. It wouldn't work. We built this land on this stuff. And I think church is about as bad as culture sometimes. Listen to what the Bible says. Listen to what the Bible said. Do not let this world, do not be conformed to this world. Don't let this world cram you into its mold. Don't let it tell you how to think. Don't let it tell you how to dress. Don't let it tell you you've got to jump through these hoops and we'll smile on you. But be changed by the renewing of your mind. Change the way you think so you can find the best God's got for you. Don't let this world cram you into this mold and tell you if you don't wear these jeans. Do I really need to get me some skinny jeans to be on TV? <laughs> Wouldn't that be a sight? I get them stretch jeans is what I get. God have mercy. Number one, quit comparing yourselves. <laughs> Wounded souls. How many people have I counseled through the years? As a child, they heard these words. Why can't you make good grades like your sister? Why can't you hit the ball like your brother? We're killing our kids with this stuff. And people carry these wounds all their lives. That's why the Bible talked about a wounded soul or a broken heart. Jesus said, I'm anointed to heal people of that junk. Anointed to get it off of people. Number one, quit comparing yourself. Number two, start liking you for who the Father made you to be. Just like you are. Because He likes you just like you are. I never said to my children, you got to be something for me to smile on you. My children never had to earn my smile. They lived from it. 
They had it. This, this, we're so sick in this culture now that you have to be right here. What you going to do with the child that's born handicapped that can never contribute anything? What you going to do with him? I thought we were fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God and our value was our creation, not what we could do. We need to be free to just be exactly what he made me to be and we need to get off this junk. Now, let me tell you what, what I hear over and over. We look at these people that can sing or make money or, you know, this stuff and we think, well, I'm, I'm nothing special. Just average person. I want to teach you something. I want you to ever forget it. Let me show you the way we need to flip this thing. Turn with me to James chapter two. I want you, I'm going to share this stuff goes on even in the church. We do this mess and we need to be free. James chapter two, you rank people. You've been taught all your life by your culture and even by churches to rank people. We rank them. How wealthy they are, how pretty they are, how tall they are, how smart they are, how well they can sing, how much money they got. We rank people all the time. My father's having none of it. He don't do it. Because you're going to rank people and somebody's going to be number two and that's going to hurt. Look what the Bible says about ranking people. James chapter two, verse one. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus with partiality. What do he say right there? Once you become a believer and you start following Jesus, you don't rank people anymore. No, there's no partiality. Nobody's smarter, less smart, richer. You don't rank people. There's no partiality amongst people. Verse two says this, and here's an example. If there should come into your church assembly, a man with gold rings and fine apparel, nice clothes, come in a poor man in dirty clothes. Stop right there. We automatically, when we look at people, he's fixing to say, how do you deal with people when they're different? Here's a guy comes into your church. You know, he's well-to-do. He's got one of them Hart Schaffner and Mark suits on. You can tell he's very wealthy and maybe he's a whatever businessman or business lady. Then you got a person comes in a little bit less than that. Matter of fact, their clothes are a little shabby and you see them come in. Do you immediately look at them? Listen, let me ask you, do you gravitate toward that one? Do you move toward that one? Watch what he says here in verse three. And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes. And you say to him, ooh, ooh, a special place for you. But you say to the poor man, uh, go sit in the back. You, you're, you'd rather be around the one who's dressed well and we're impressed with this stuff. Preachers do this. Pre you know, they taught us in school, you get a businessman comes to your church, call him, take him out to lunch. He'd be a great asset to your church. Why don't we call the bum, the alcoholic? Why don't we call them and take them somewhere? Jesus said, if you give a feast, don't invite your rich friends. Invite the lame, the broken, the, men, the wounded. He said that this is the way our culture does. We, boy, we go after the rich and famous and the yada, yada. We, we want them people around us. Jesus said, well, I don't know why I'm telling you. Let him say it. He can get in trouble. Verse four. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with, what's the word? Is the word evil? What did Jesus say about what this culture does to people? This is evil to rank people according to this one's somebody and this one's not. He said, this is evil. You know why it's evil? This is what destroys souls. You know what this does to a person's heart when you, by the way, you treat them or look at them or ignore them, you treat them that they're less than something special? This, this wounds people's souls. Kids, old people, it don't matter. Now, <clears throat> you say, well, I've heard people say, well, you know, God, God, he treats everybody alike. Oh, Really? Read the next verse. Has God not chosen 
the poor of this world. Two men come into church where Jesus is at. A rich man, rings, big fancy suit. Somebody comes in shabby clothes. Guess who Jesus is going to take lunch? Right there it is, doc. I didn't write it. I ask you, you, you who know the Bible and read the Bible, who did Jesus always go after? Did he go after the shakers and the movers? Would you choose an ignorant, uneducated, redneck fisherman to lead the greatest movement in the world? What do you think Mary Magdalene was like out of whom he cast seven demons? What do you think she was like with them seven demons still bouncing around inside there? She wasn't exactly no debutante. Man, I'm telling you, we, we got to flip this thing. We got to get back to the way he, the king intended it to be. Let me show you something crazy. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to show you where you fit. I'm going to let you find your place right in here. God's fixing to list people in eight categories. He's going to list eight categories of people. I want you to find your place in one of them. And matter of fact, you can, you can, be, two, you can be more than one. You can be two or three. But he's fixing to show you, he's fixing to show you how we rank people and he's going to give you eight categories that people fall into. Find your place in here. All right, watch what he says. I love this right here. I love it all. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 26 says this. You see your calling, brethren. Just stop right there. You know what he just said? It literally reads, consider your calling. Look around you and look at the people that God has called. Take some time, just look, look around you where you live and your community and in your church. Who has God called to himself? Look at, look at the people God has chosen to follow him. And he's called them and saved them. Just look at the ones God's chosen. I look at this verse, 27, <clears throat> verse 26. Look at the calling, brethren. Not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. What do you say right there? What are those three categories? Wise, mighty, noble. The intelligent people, the powerful people, Noble means rich and the rich people. You got the smart people, the powerful people and the rich people. And what do you say there? He didn't choose many of them. Not many of those people that we like to be impressed with or we go after. He didn't take them. I read the next verse. He's fixing to list five more categories. He said this, verse 28, verse 27. God has chosen the foolish of this world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak, weak, we're going to let weak people in our church. God has chosen the weak of the world to put to shame the mighty. God is, verse 28, God has chosen the base, base people. You know what a base person is? You know what a base, you know what a base is? If you ever go to my, come out back, I drive a base pickup truck. It's a base model. You go to the Ford dealership, they got F-150s, and they got about five different types. You start out with the base model, that's your white work trucks. You know, city, well, heck where I'm from, they drive nice trucks. It used to be as utility trucks, and then they start stepping up, and the top of the ladder is the platinum. I'm sorry, the Raptor. You got the Raptor above that now. And the Raptor's for folks who got more money than they got since. You got the, you got the Raptor, the platinum, the, you know, the, uh, I forget the next one, and then you got the base. Base means not much on it. Roll the windows up by yourself. That's a base model. What kind of people does God choose? What does it mean, base people? Not real flashy, not a lot of extras, just plain old people. That's you base people. It's got two more of the world after base and the things that are despised. What does despised mean? 
People look down your nose at something they despise. God's going after God. That's his people right there. One more. And God has chosen the things that are not. What is a not people? We don't wait. We don't tell people you're a not. I might call him a not head. We don't say you're a not. What is our modern word for not? Nobody. You're a nobody. Loser. Isn't that crazy? He lists eight categories there of people. And the three we're impressed with are the very ones he doesn't choose. And the very ones we look the other way from, that's his folks right there. He dumps this thing completely upside down. So if you're in the base category like I am, congratulations. You're his. You, you say, well, I'm certainly not base. Be careful, Doc. You might get in that top three. There's some times not to be at the top of the ladder. You see how he dumps our culture upside down? The things that we're so impressed with mean nothing to him. And the things that we, don't, we ignore and really rather not be around, he's after them. Tell you things about people. <clears throat> now, this thing is painful to people. This hurts people. Let me, let me prove it to you. I'm going to show you. Before this COVID mess hit, I would love when our youth were getting together up in their room, they have a separate youth ministry center up there. I'd love to go up there, right? I like to go in, not during the meetings, but before the meetings, they all come in and play games. And I love to go up in there and just watch. I'll just get against the wall and just watch. And I watch the kids interact with each other. And I watch kids when they walk through the door. I can always tell the new kids. They walk in and you see this look on their face. You see it in their eyes. They're terrified. Do my clothes look okay? Are they going to accept me here? Am I going to fit in? And you just, you know what that is? That is a hellish bondage that holds people in. If there's any place you ought to walk in and know, I'm loved here. I'm accepted here. I don't have to impress anybody in here. The, brethren, what do you say? These things ought not to be. And I watch the bondage of people who jump. What's the, what's the culture's word for it? You ever heard this? Peer pressure. Peer pressure. I'll tell you, middle school is hell on kids' souls. It's terrible. You know, you got, if you don't have the right clothes, what is that? What is this? What is, right clothes? I thought if you was covered, you was okay. What is this? We do it in the church. Not long ago, I was going visiting in the hospital. And I stepped on the elevator, got on the elevator, and a local preacher was in there. I said, hey, doc. He looked at me. I was dressed about like I was going to feed cows. <laughs> he had on his uniform. Why in the world a man wears a coat in 90-degree heat? It's a mystery to me. Had on his uniform. <clears throat> he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to visit one of my church members. He said, like that? I had forgot about that stuff. I've been free so long, I didn't even remember it. <clears throat> what do you mean like that? I was saved in blue jeans. I'm going to be buried in them. I'm going to live in them. Love me just like I am, Doc. You know what? Well, I didn't go home and have to get drunk because my soul was wounded by what he said. When you live for the approval of one person, you don't give a flying gnat's rear end what they say. Now, listen, listen to me. Now, wait, wait, whoa, 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 that, I shouldn't, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. All right, we're not talking about this. I don't care what nobody says. That's a whole different stupid right there. Listen to me. A good name is to be chosen above riches. I want people to like me, but I don't need it. It's a great day when you, as far as is possible with you, you want to be at peace with all people. If I can help you, I will. But you cuck your eyes at me, I'm not jumping through your hoops. 
That's, a, that's called he whom the son sets free is free indeed. You ever, let me test you. You ever done this? You did it, but you resented it because you knew they wouldn't like it if you didn't. That's a terrible place to live right there. You'll never live like that when Jesus is your Lord. Because where the spirit of the Lord is, where the spirit is Lord, there's freedom. He'll give you the desire to your heart. It's peer pressure things. It's a bondage. Somebody said that, let me test you. I heard somebody say this recently and I just thought, what is this? How powerful this thing is with adults. And they talked about an event they had to be at. I can't remember what it was, some fancy event. And I heard them ask them, I said, are you going to be there? What time are you getting there? Listen to what they said. I don't want to walk in by myself. What do you mean you don't want to walk in by yourself? You don't know how? <laughs> it's actually easier to walk into something by yourself. You don't have to drag somebody and keep up with them that way. <laughs> what has happened that we don't want to walk in by ourselves? Well, what if nobody talks to me? Stand against the wall and stare at them. What? What is this junk? This is nuts. It's actually bondage. And we do it in the church. You know what I'm convinced? Churches are worse than the culture. I'm going to show you something crazy. Turn with me to John chapter 9. I'm going to show you nut house. Animal house in the church. John, <laughs> pardon me if I enjoy myself with this. John chapter 9. All right, John chapter nine is that great story. You'll remember this. This is where a man was blind. He was born blind and for 38 years he was blind. And every day somebody positioned him outside the temple. Remember what he did? He sat out there and begged for money. In that culture, there were no jobs for blind people. You couldn't do manual work, you didn't work. So he sat there and begged for money. He'd been there for years. One day Jesus comes walking by. Do you remember this? He spits in the mud makes mud pies, puts it in the man's eyes and heals him. 38 years blind, now he can see. That's a good thing right there. Can I get a witness? That's a good thing. All right. Let me ask you a question. His parents were still living because they're in the story. If that had been your child that was born blind and was blind for 38 years and all of a sudden Jesus came by and showed him kindness and healed him, would you be happy? Would you tell somebody? Wouldn't that be great? Imagine that. 38 years. And uh, for some reason, everybody feels compelled to do this. They decide to take this guy to the preachers and ask them what they think. Who gives a rip? So they drag him before the preachers and they didn't like the way Jesus did it. Who gives a rip about that? And they want to argue. So they they get the boy and say, bring us his parents. Watch this. Bring us his parents. Verse 18. The Jews didn't believe concerning him he'd been blind and received his sight till they called the parents of the man who'd been blind. And they asked him saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? Shut up. You gotta be kidding me. Yes, no, sir. He wasn't born blind. For 38 years, we stuck him beside the road just to do this to you today. I tell you, when you're blind, you are blind. Y'all trying to pull us over on us. Verse 19, how does he see? Verse 20, his parents answered them and said, verse 20, we know this is our son. We know he was born blind. Verse 21, by what means he now sees, we do not know. Who opened his eyes? We do not know. You have got to be kidding me. They were standing there. They knew who opened his eyes and they are so scared of what people down at the church think they won't confess what Jesus did for them. That is a sick, sick 
When you let people cause you to deny something God did for you, they should tell them, stick it in your ear, dear. Jesus helped our son. We don't care whether you like it or not. Amen. That would be the proper the biblical response. <laughs> and they are so scared of what people think of them that they're willing to deny the goodness of Jesus. Look at verse 22. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. They're so afraid of what people would think of them. The Jews had already agreed if anybody confessed that Jesus was the master, they'd throw them out of their church. So you're going to deny what Jesus did for you just so you can stay around a bunch of people obviously don't like you anyway. You know what American culture's come down to? Buying junk we don't need with money we ain't got to impress people who don't like us anyway. Who's on drugs now? Do you see the power of this thing? That, that we, we dress because what, what will they think? And now we go to church and act a certain way to keep everybody at the church happy. Let me show you what the proper phrase for it is. Turn John 12, just two or three pages over. John chapter 12, verse 42. Let me show you one of the greatest bondages you can, you can let somebody put you in in your life. John 12, 42. Nevertheless, even among the rulers. Now rulers here doesn't mean like mayor, it means leading preachers. Among the preachers, many believed in him, but because of the ministers, they wouldn't tell it lest they should be kicked out of the church. Watch verse 43. They love the praise of men more than the praise of God. You could substitute the word praise with the word acceptance or approval. They were more concerned about what people thought about them than about what God thought. That is a terrible bondage to let yourself get into that you're more concerned about what other people think about you. Dear ones, why don't you live for the smile of God? You've already got it. We, I do not work for the smile of God. There's no way I could get it. I work because he's already smiled on me. I live from the smile of God. And uh, we, we need to get healed from this junk. We need to quit doing it to people. And we need to quit letting people do it to us. Nobody can put you in prison unless you let them. Quit letting them tell you to jump through their hoops. This is garbage and it's demonic in the way that we let this mess go in our lives. When somebody tries to control you, when a mother says to her dirt child, her adult children, when she says, I guess I'll just be all by myself. <laughs> Tell her, yeah, I guess you will, won't you? <laughs> be nice to your mama. Parents quit manipulating your children with your nonsense. And churches need to quit manipulating people. You know what the Bible calls it when somebody puts pressure on you to conform? You know what the Bible calls it? Witchcraft. Come on. It is the spirit of witchcraft because it's the spirit of manipulation. They just cut their eyes at you. And you know, I don't have their approval right now. Be free. It's been a couple years ago. I, I'd go to this preacher's meeting. I go, went for my children's sake, not for their sake. Not my, I mean the school children. I'd go to this preacher's meeting and I, I just don't think like this anymore. I tell you, you stay in this word long enough, you'll wash this garbage out of you. I don't think like this anymore. So I, I thought, oh, okay, I gotta go. Great, I'll go. And I, in a moment of naivete, I asked my daughter to go with me. I said, well, come on, we'll spend time together. We'll go, we'll go to this thing. We're gonna have dinner, dinner be good. The show won't be much, but the dinner be good. I said, come on. So she came. Never crossed my mind. I never thought about this. 
until I opened the door to walk in and it hit me like a freight train. I walked in, I looked there and I was just a hair late and I walked into a room full of fundamental Baptist preachers. Every one of them had their black uniforms on, black coats, black ties. I wasn't dressed near as nice as I am now. I looked like I, I didn't look like I was going to feed the cows. I looked like I just got done feeding them. But that wasn't a problem. I had my daughter with me. I thought that skirt is way too short. Them tattoos are from hell. And that nose ring's gonna go over like a hot dog at a bar mitzvah. I said, this ain't gonna fly right here. This ain't gonna cut the mustard. We walked in and every one of them just glared at me. They looked like I'd tried to hand them a booger. I mean, they just stared at me. If I had not known what I know and knew him as well as I knew him and had been free indeed, that would have bothered me. But you know what? Your witchcraft don't move me one bit. Your religious witchcraft don't affect me one bit. I'm not getting me a nose ring. Now you think it's wrong to do things just to aggravate Pharisees. You say you shouldn't be like that. Why did Jesus heal on the Sabbath right in front of them? I'm sorry. I'm trying to be. Don't let them put that on you. But one man's opinion matters. One. Let me tell you what freedom is. Let me tell you what this book's for right here. Jesus said at John 8, 31, you'll stay in this word, abide in my word, live in my word. You'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. Free from what? This garbage that we put on people. We need to be free. Let me give you one more. Live for the approval of one. You need to live for one smile and that is the smile of Jesus. You got it. You'll, you'll live free indeed if you'll just live for the smile of one man. I don't know if you remember this or not. What's the first thing that happened to this earth when it fell? Anybody remember? All right, you got a perfect earth. Everything created. God created everything. He said it was good. Everything's good. Got man and woman. Beautiful relationship. They love each other. Everything's perfect. Nothing's wrong in the earth till the day that man chose to turn from God and rebel. What's the first thing came into the earth? Anybody remember? Worrying about what other people thought about us. That's the first thing happened after the fall. The Bible said they ate the fruit. They fell and their eyes were open and they saw that they were naked. So they made fig leaves to hide themselves from other people. First thing that came in this earth was the fear of what people think about me. When we sinned, it opened the door for Satan to put a bondage on people where we're scared spitless about what others think. And of course, we don't make fig leaves to hide, our, to hide ourselves anymore, do we? What do we call them fig leaves today? Resumes. Designer clothing. Certain hairdos. Certain memberships. Now listen, if you want to do stuff, that's fine. If you want to paint the barn, God bless you. But don't do it to be accepted. Do it because somebody has already accepted you. Do it for the king. Ephesians chapter one. God sacrificed his son and we are accepted in the beloved. You know, when the creator of the universe has smiled on you and liked you, everything else is pudding. Just, just live for the smile of one person. That's what you need to do right there. And uh, we don't need to be measuring ourselves. All right. You say, well, Brother Brown, if you knew me, 
you'd know that God's not happy with me. You look right here. You don't know you. All right, let me show you you. Don't know me. I'm fixing to show you you don't know you. Why do you, why do you think you know you? Who are you? I'm not talking about where you work or what you drive or your education. Who are you at the core of your being? Where'd you get it from? Did your mama tell you? This sick culture told you? You know where this book says the only place you can find out who you are? Listen to what the Bible says. James says this. The word of God is a mirror that a man or woman looks into and they see their natural face in that mirror. They see who they are. This is the only place you can find out who you are. Anything that doesn't agree with what this book says about you is a lie. Let me show you the great passage, Psalm 139. Psalm 139. This is where you find out who you are. And I'm going to give you a test to see if you know who you are. I'm going to give you a test to see if it bothers you. Why is it that when a man says to his wife, you sure are pretty, she goes, no. Well, it might be because she's begging for more. I'm not sure about that. You want to see what Satan has done to people's souls? You're going to see it in Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is that great passage that teaches he created you. He created everything about you. I want you to look with me for a few verses. Psalm 139, verse 13. I have a word from God. Where's my girls from Mary's house? Mary's house, y'all here today? Great. Now listen to me. From the Lord, this is for you. Psalm 139 is for you. I want you to read this with me. Verse 13. You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. What's the word covered mean? Knit me. Put me together. You listen to me. Your mother's womb is God's workshop. He was there. You can read the rest of it. He was there. He put you together in your mother's womb. Matter of fact, the Bible says, I was skillfully, look at me in verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. Read this carefully. I was skillfully created. Skillfully created. The master craftsman of the universe was at work in your mama's womb creating you. Now listen to me carefully. Not just your physical features. He created your personality in your mother's womb just like he wanted it to be. If you're type A, he created you that way. If you're gentle and quiet, he created you that way. He gave you your gifts just like he wanted. Everything about you, not just your physical makeup, everything about you, what you like, what you don't like, he put that in there. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The scripture says, he, he put that in there. Now I want you to read verse 14 with me. I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. How many of you can stand in the mirror? And say, I praise you, God. And you look in that mirror, look at yourself, say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous is what God made right here. This is who you are right here. Let's read the rest of that. Verse 14, I will praise you. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And that my soul knows very well. What's the tragedy among God's people today? Their soul doesn't know it. Their soul says, I'm who the society says I am. I'm who my daddy says I was. I'm who that teacher says I am. No, sir, you are who God says you are. Fearfully and wonderfully, everything about me, 
personality, likes, dislikes, gifts, inclinations, height, everything. It's wonderful. How many of you can look in the mirror and say, wonderful? And if you can't do that, your soul does not know right well who you are. Well, the greatest hymns ever written years ago, I love it. It goes, to, I've never understood why the greatest hymns are played on country radio stations and we don't sing them in church. Well, the greatest hymns ever written goes like this. She don't know she's beautiful. She don't know she's beautiful. Though time and time I've told her so. Y'all ever heard that hymn? It's one of my favorites. I love to sing it. I sing it around the house to my wife all the time. I, I listen, I think I married the most beautiful woman in the world. I'm crazy about her. Still am. And I tell her all the time, sweetheart, God loves me because he gave me you. You're beautiful. I said, you are, you're magazine beautiful, mama. I tell her stuff. And <laughs> one time she said, I got mirrors in my house. <laughs> Honest to God, she can't see it. She can't see what I see. And I tell her all the time, though time and time he told her so, she just don't know it. I can see it, but she can't. How, where'd that come from? She had a good daddy growing up. I've told her 9,000 times, there is somebody lying in this planet. I'm, I was singing that song when the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, that's Jesus' song right there. I said, Jesus sings on the country radio station. <laughs> I'm being cute right there, but he, he said, that's Jesus' song. He said, his bride has no idea how he sees them. He adores his bride. Is that scriptural? Psalm 45. Listen to me, O daughters of the people. Leave your father and your mother's house. The king greatly desires your beauty because he is your Lord. Run to him. Ephesians 5, 29. No man ever hated his bride, but nourishes her and adores her like Christ does the church. You want to hear the heart of God? Or Jesus talking to his people, you know what he'd say? She don't know she's beautiful. Though time and time I've told her so. You need to cover your ears when the Cardusians start talking. <laughs> and you need to listen to one voice. And it's the voice of the lover of your soul. And you need to start saying what he says and thinking what he thinks. Soul freedom is when you hear the voice of God for yourself. True soul freedom. Let me tell you what soul freedom is. When you're really free on the inside, you're free from the fear of men. You, you, just, you, you love people, you serve people, but you don't have to have their approval. If you get it, great. If you don't, I can live without it. And here's, here's how you can do it. Because I have heard the approval of one. One man. To be set free from the fear of men, hear the voice of God. I told you last week about my daughter, my one daughter. We talked last week about Matthew 25. Uh, verse 40, where it said, as you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, do it unto me, do it unto, do it unto, uh, do it unto these, do it unto these. And I told you, I told my daughter, y'all do this. Remember this. So one of them had it tattooed on her so she'd remember it. That's good. My other daughter, <clears throat> she got tattoos. I know what you think, bunch of gypsies. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care if you run a bone through your nose. We need to get off this stuff. I don't own you. What I think about you is not that important. 
The one who created you is the only one you need to be concerned about what they think and what he thinks is good. He adored you before you was born. If I've screwed up, caught him off guard, I bet. He knew everything you'd do, created you and loved you anyway, just like you are. My children have been so blessed in life. You know why? They have never had to work for my approval. They had it the day they was born. And they heard, oh, now we did teach a little bit. You know what reason my girls never got screwed up with dumb boys? I'm going to tell you why. You know why girls get screwed up with dumb boys? Because when some bozo with a cheap pickup truck would tell them, I see the stars in your eyes. They'd say, forget it, Jack. My daddy had been telling me that for years. <laughs> they didn't have to have it. They already had it. God ordained life like that. But anyway, the second one, she, uh, she got tattoos too. And uh, she got a tattoo, one of them right here, and it says, his delight. His delight. I've heard people ask her, what, what does that mean right there? Is that your boyfriend? She said, good gosh, a boyfriend ain't worth getting a tattoo over. <laughs> Husband ain't even worth that. What did the Bible say? Write these things. She said, I always want to be able to remember what God thinks about me. Is that scriptural? Is that what the Bible teaches? He has set me in a broad place because he delights in me. Proverbs chapter four, as a father delights in his son, so the Lord delights in his people. You know how much he delights in you? Listen to Proverbs. Even the prayer of the righteous is his delight. The Bible talks all over and over about the delight of God. Guess what the delight of God is? Somebody needs to write a great song that would help us with this stuff. It could go like this, just as I am. Just as I am. You don't need to put on no fig leaves to come to him. He knows. And he loves you just like you are. And he likes you just like you are. And he don't want to change one thing about you because God took his great personality and he split it out in eight billion pieces and put it in the heart of every person. And together we make the body of Christ. You just, I just like you just like you are. It's a wonderful day when you can do that. All right, all ready? Let's do it. We got a little, do a little exercise here. I got to help you. Repeat this after me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. This I know. Because the Bible tell me so. I don't give a rip what the Cardusians say because Jesus loves me anyway. There's your good one right there. He's good over and over and over. Now you've been so indoctrinated by garbage over and over and over. It is deep in your soul. That's why you need to attend to this word and you need to put this in your soul over and over and over so it can wash the junk out. Psalm 139, meditate on that. Lord Jesus, I want to praise you and thank you. Jesus, of all the things I've learned in my life, Jesus loves me, this I know. It's in the Bible. That's where it told me so. And I give you the praise and glory. I thank and praise you that you like base models. <laughs> Me and you got that in common. I like base trucks and you like base people. Thank you that you choose the common, the weak. You even choose the foolish. Others that people laugh at. You say, I want to marry that right there. I want to praise you and thank you. Ain't nobody like you. I mean, you're the top of the totem pole, Lord Jesus. You don't get no higher than you. And yet you said, associate with the lowly. You go after the Mary Magdalene's, the Simons, the outcasts. 
I want to praise you and thank you. I pray for every person in this room. I pray, Lord Jesus, soul healing. You said you're anointed to heal the human soul. The scars of what parents said, the wounds of what teachers said, the, the pain and the junk of what the kids said about us in school that lasts for 50 years. I believe you to bring healing through your spirit and your word. Lord Jesus, you want to free people, a free people. I pray for that. I pray most of all that somehow your bride can hear your voice and know that she's beautiful. Because time and time you've told her so. I trust you. I really trust you to do this in people's hearts. I give you the praise and glory. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.